Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. And we are in week three of a series entitled After the Resurrection. And the title of this message is Passing It On, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. And we kicked off this, this entire series asking ourselves this question. What is it about the first century church that was so compelling that despite being persecuted and disenfranchised and abused and neglected and cast out of the, the community of, of you know, the faith that many of them had been a part of, what made it so attractive that despite all those persecutions, people said, I want, I want to sign up for that? And not just sign up for it, sign up for it in droves and be willing to endure the same kind of oppression so they would be in that community. How did they survive the Jewish rebellion of uh, 66 AD that culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and eventually the, that tragic death at Masada? How did they handle Nero? How did they handle the loss of all of the apostles who knew Jesus personally and have new leadership? And so we began to, to ask these questions, and, and we, we began talking about the fact that they started out with the right foundation. They started out with kingdom priorities. They started out with, with a culture of prayer, that prayer was huge. People say, prayer, well, that's just what you do when you really can't do anything. Guys, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And literally, it's a lie from the pit of hell, because who wants us not to pray? People from hell. <sighs> Because prayer is incredibly powerful, and they had a culture of prayer. They embraced prayer. It wasn't just, you know, now I lay me down to see, sleep. Nothing wrong with now I lay me down to sleep. But, but let's get after some prayer. They had, a, they had a culture of studying the Word of God, uh, of really wanting to know what, what it is that the prophets and the apostles, you know, had taught. They had an incredible community experience. A community that, 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 was, that was selfless, a community that cared for one another, a, a community that was willing to share each other's burdens, and they had a community that was so motivated by love, they practiced sacrificial generosity. Because without sacrificial generosity, there's no way the church would have survived its infancy because it would have been, it would have been crushed. Because that's what the enemy wanted to do, was crush the church of Jesus Christ, to prevent it from going out and, and succeeding in what it was called to do, which is change the world. Praise God it didn't. Praise God it didn't fail. We talked about the fact that as it grew, understandably, it had growing pains. You know, if I can't stop it, the devil says, I'm going to get it off track. I'm going to repurpose it. I'm going to give it wrong priorities. And so we talked about how early on that they had to be very, very disciplined in, in the health of the leadership. In the health of the community, the community could not get dysfunctional. You couldn't get selfish. And they had to stay extremely healthy in their doctrine. The gospel's not complicated. We are saved by what? It's not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. It's not about works. That doesn't make us righteous with God. Jesus is the only one. And yes, he did resurrect physically from the dead. And yes, he did ascend into heaven. And yes, the Holy Spirit did come down. And that's, that's probably the definition of what made them so incredibly amazing, is they were willing to believe something that was impossible and receive something that was inexplainable, the Holy Spirit of God, which changed them. 
but they did something else, and that's what passing it on is about today. The, the it that we're referring to is something that, that we call spiritual leadership because when, when the first generation dies, another generation has to step up. There has to be transgenerational leadership in a movement. If there is not transgenerational leadership, the movement fades. And not just any kind of leadership, spiritual leadership. And so in every generation, the church of that generation has to prioritize the development of healthy spiritual leaders if it is to experience ongoing healthy growth. Note the word healthy. You can grow for a while on fumes and, and, and good looks. I have good looks, right? <laughs> no. I look like Pat. Do we look good? I guess. Well, God liked us enough, he made two of us. <laughs> and either he was trying to correct a mistake, or I like that one, I'm going to make another one. And I, just, I don't know. <laughs> but but, but, but we, we have to have spiritual leadership. And what is spiritual leadership? And how is spiritual leadership different than just leadership, right? What's the difference? Well, I, I like the fact that, that there's a gentleman by the name of Eric Swanson who is with Crew, which used to be Campus Crusade for Christ. And he said this, that spiritual leader is a, leadership is a blending of natural and spiritual qualities utilized for influencing God's people to accomplish God's purpose. Or purposes, you could be plural. It's about people helping other people discover and do what God created them to do. That's what spiritual leaders. It's, you know, it's not just about inf- all leadership is influence. Spiritual influence means that I'm not concerned that you do what I want you to do or what I think you ought to do, but I want you to do what God wants you to do. And every generation needs those kinds of leaders. But I would, I would expand our understanding of that to not only include the context of the church and the community of faith that that, that we are a part of, I would expand it to include all facets of life because God is a multifaceted God. In the Old Testament, one of the things he held the, the Jewish people accountable for was whether or not they truly had his priorities. And the prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. We need leaders doing that. Leaders in the church, leaders in nonprofit groups, leaders in the community, leaders in education, leaders in business, leaders in government. Leaders. People who say, I'm going to learn to do good. I'm going to learn to seek justice and promote justice and help the oppressed and defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. And and this was echoed not only in, in, in the Old Testament, but also in the teachings of Christ. In Matthew 25, he records this sermon of Christ. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And that's a church that's doing those things that will impact its generation. 
And we need leaders in all aspects of our society who are saying, you know something, not my will, but Christ be done. This is what God has called us to. You see, Christianity is not just about what God does for us. What happens is, and if we could put this up, we encounter God. We encounter him. We have an encounter with God, maybe at an altar, maybe in a dorm room the way I did, maybe someplace else. And then we start to learn about our faith. Well, what does God believe about you? What does God believe, you know, for you? Wow, you know, you can pray and God will answer your prayers? That's kind of cool. And then we start to apply it to ourselves. And if we're smart, we start to apply it to our families. And if we're loving, we begin to apply it to our church. Then we take it on the streets and we start getting involved in our neighborhoods. And finally, we share it with the world, but we share it both in word and in actions. And that church, even though it's persecuted, even though it's lied about, even though it's, it's, it's oppressed and all this other stuff, that church not only survives the oppression, it continues to influence and infect those around them because it's a supernatural church, because it takes supernatural power to, to do all that stuff. And to keep that movement going, beginning with the first churches, God rose up transgenerational leadership. And the church must make it a priority to pass down the things that we have experienced and learned and invest those in the people who will carry that burden forward. Paul did this, and it was a key component of the success of the early church. You you read about this in Acts 14, verses 21 to 25. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You don't get amens on that. I don't know why that is. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia, and they preached the word in Perga, and then they went down to Alitalia. You see Paul's investing in the next generation. There's a, a Christian theologian and commentator named Phil Newton. He said this, about Paul's ministry. He said that Paul did not simply plant a church and move on to another. He sought to shepherd the new disciples in the faith, relational discipleship. Paul sought to form communities of disciples who continued on in the faith and that that can only happen with sufficient leadership. Paul created leaders. Now we know that from the stories, we know that from the evidence, we know that from the fact that when you study the early church, it grew, it thrived, tremendous men and women of God were, were lifted up, and, and we see the fruit of that infecting and going throughout all of Europe, and we enjoy the benefit of those leaders even to this day. Our whole Western culture is in large part based upon the ministry of the leaders that God rose up during those early centuries of the church philosophers and theologians whose works resonate through our our very 
legal system in some ways. But we need an example. We want to know what Paul did and how he did it. Perhaps the best example that we have of Paul mentoring that next generation leadership is a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, it says in Acts that he met Timothy on his second missionary journey. Paul had at least three and maybe four missionary journeys. And he was a young man, probably in his mid to late teens. And he came from a Christian family. And Paul meets this young man, and he's impressed by him. He looks at him and says, you got the goods, Timothy. You got something special. I, I think God has his hand on your life. And I, I want you to come be with me. And so he became Paul's servant and followed him and, and basically was his, was his gopher or what, is, was his, what I think the Brits refer to it as Batman. He, uh, he, 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 not, not a guy with a little guy, you know, not, not, you know, we're not talking, the, it's, it's, it's not the Marvel, it's the what? DC, thank you, young people. It's not the DC. <laughs> I got to ask Benji. I don't, you know, I don't know that. But it's not DC. It's a term for somebody who serves somebody else. And he served, but he ended up growing from that position to become one of the most influential men in the entire early church. Pastor of the Church of Ephesus, arguably the largest church in early Christendom. Tremendous man of God. So what did Paul sow into him? Well, it lasted 20 years until Paul's you know, execution in, in 68 AD. And we're blessed to have a couple of letters from Paul that he wrote to Timothy as a young man saying, I want to invest in you. It is well worth your time to read Timothy from the context of leadership development, of asking the Holy Spirit to bring nuggets out of that. But this morning, I want to just read 16 verses from his first letter to Timothy. And it's going to be the fourth chapter, 1 through 16. And from these, I just want you to listen to them. And then I want to just bring some things to our attention because these are key characteristics that all of us, if we choose to want to become leaders in our generation, we're going to need all of these things just like Timothy did. And so we begin. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Anybody see anything like that around lately? <laughs> All right, these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Just pay attention to that phrase, that they have dead consciences. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by thankful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, look to your neighbor and say, you're good. <laughs> God created you, you're good. There's actually an important biblical truth there. But since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith that you draw life out of it, that it sustains you. The message is not just dry bones to you. It's, it's living to you. And the good teaching you have followed, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. How many times should I have reminded myself of that? Instead, train yourself. Who trains us? We do. To be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. That, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, 
who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your love, in your love, <laughs> your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. They were illiterate, most of them. Encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on, how, on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvations of those who hear you. You don't see that on a bumper sticker, do you? <laughs> I mean, you don't. I mean, that's like, oh, that's that, that. Where's the God loves you? I, I believe God loves us, but there's some stuff in there about us, too, if we want to be leaders. And I want you to be leaders because God needs leaders. Our communities need leaders. The broken need leaders. The lost need leaders. The disenfranchised and the oppressed, those denied justice, need leaders. They need people who will step up. And so we see within these 16 verses, though, seven qualities that, that will help us develop the characteristic of spiritual leadership. We see him talking about maintaining a relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit because we need clear consciences. Somebody whose conscience is dead means that they can be doing something absolutely against God's will and they don't care. In fact, they, they just, okay. Hey, I'm doing this. It's wrong. I know it's wrong. I don't care. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel ashamed of it. I don't feel guilty about it. I don't care. Because they can't hear the voice of God anymore. Even though they believe in Jesus. God, help us not to be that person. Help us to, to realize, yeah, all of us fall. All of us continue to fall. Paul talked about the fact that he had two natures and he struggled to do the things he wanted to do because he found himself doing the things he didn't want to do. But when you stop at least feeling guilty about that stuff, come on, man, something's wrong. And leaders can acknowledge their humanity and its brokenness and its weakness and its, and its inability to cast off the, these, these temptations that, that beset us all. And they can walk in the grace and mercy of God but their conscience continues to convict them because the Spirit continues to, to show them this is truth and this is you, and you're not necessarily in sync. Study and keep studying. Study the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, and it's relevant in every generation and every situation. And, and sometimes I think we can memorize 10 verses in Sunday school and we're good to go. Well, we're not good to go because what happens is that, 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 that the truth that we learn early in our walk with Christ, sometimes it takes a beating. Sometimes it gets hammered. And, and I made this statement, and you can take it home and just chew on it for if, you, if you'd like. Truth doesn't evolve. Truth is eternal, but it does erode. It erodes. If you, if you expose it to the elements, if you expose it to oppression, the things that we hold dear and that are important to us, the truths and the values that we embrace, 
they, they just take a hammering unless we continue to refresh and renew them. And so studying the Bible is not an option. Studying the Bible is how we stay solid in Christ. Maintaining a relationship, studying and keeping studying. Live right. Live right. Yes, it takes work. Was there anything in those 16 verses that said that once you come to Christ, we'll spit on your head, we'll rub some oil in your ears, and you can go out and just be this perfect example of a Christian? No, there was stuff in there that sounded like it took effort and, and, and you know, intentionality. And it's like, gosh, I, I, ah, that's, that's way more difficult than, than the magic pill you take and suddenly that everything is okay. Look, we're righteous. We're righteous by grace. I stand before Christ completely sinless in his eyes. But that doesn't mean I'm living right. And if I'm going to have influence... If I'm going to have, make an impact, at some point, the life I live needs to line up with the values I espouse. Amen? Teach others. Anybody ever teach a class? Anybody? Yeah, okay. All right. When you were done, did you understand the subject of the material better than when you started? There is an axiom amongst teachers that if you really want to learn a subject, teach it. Seriously. I mean, you want to learn about eschatology? Teach it. You want to learn about your image in Christ? Teach it. You want to learn about the authority of the believer? Teach it. Set somebody down and walk them through the Romans road of how you can experience salvation. It, it, it's, there is something about maturity that comes on us when we make the effort to teach the things that we believe in because it just takes you to a new level. And so spiritual leaders are, are people who've said, you know, I, I'm going to teach even if they don't feel adequate. Here's a little hint. Almost no teacher feels adequate. Pat is talking to us. I said, I want you to teach the eschatology. Man, I ain't taught that forever. It's not changed. You can relearn it. You, you know, didn't we have that conversation? I said, get out the books, restudy it. Come on, man. Well, I forgot it. Well, it's not too late. You know, I'm, boy, I'm so glad you're here. I, I can't, but just to pick on you. But it's a perfect example. It's not what I'm saying is, is that's what we've got to do. You want to learn something? Teach it. You want to be a leader? Start teaching other people. Be confident, but not arrogant. People can get lost on their own. They do not need you to stand up and say, I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know why I'm here, and I don't know where I'm going, but follow me. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, it's, there's, you know, again, another axiom. A bad plan is better than no plan. I, I mean, we, we need to have a confidence that's birthed from the relationship that we have in God. And Timothy was young. So what? He still had truth. He didn't have to be arrogant. He didn't have to be cocky. He didn't have to be, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You know, I'm not all that in a bag of chips, but I know who is. And I can tell you about him. And I, won't, I will not hide or, or walk around saying, well, I don't know why they gave me this job, but I guess I'm going to do it. If you have the job, it's because God made you a leader. And God wants you anointed and into, as a leader and to embrace that call because this generation desperately needs leaders. Maintain a relationship. Study and keep studying. Live right. Teach others. Be confident but not arrogant. Number six, work 
hard. When did hard work become something to avoid? When did it become a dirty word or a dirty phrase? I'm not saying work is always enjoyable, but we used to have a, 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 a culture in this country that we want to raise our kids to work hard. I want a kid that works hard. You know, hard work is a good thing. You know, we, we've created a culture that says you should figure out how you can avoid working as much as you can because there's far more important things to do with your time. Now, I'm not saying you have to sell your soul to your employer, but if you want to be a leader, you better put some time in. And if the cause that you have embraced, if the calling that you have accepted, if, if, the, if the role you believe that the Spirit of God is, is speaking to you about in your life, the influence that he wants you to have, if it's God asking you to do it, why in the heck would you do it half, 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 halfway? <laughs> I got through that, didn't I, Pat? <laughs> I got through that. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's God. It's worth whatever you do. Do it well. I mean, and, and we, blah, I'm not, you know, we got to keep things in balance. But if we keep things in balance, we'll work hard at our families. We'll work hard at our, our relationship with God. We'll work hard in our communities. We'll work hard in our churches. We'll work hard at our jobs. And it'll all somehow work out. Because we'll be flowing in the leading and the strength of the Spirit of God. And we'll never have the influence that God intends for us to have if we don't accept the burden that comes with it. And then we get to number seven. Embrace the anointing. Paul tells Timothy in this passage, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Spiritual leadership takes a spiritual anointing. Now, those of you who are online, you're saying, well, well can we be anointed in our bedrooms or wherever you're watching this? Absolutely. But those of you who have joined us this morning in person, I want to challenge you with something. I began this sermon talking about the fact that we believe that the sacrament of putting people underwater, symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, was not just a ritual where we affirm our faith to the community. It is that. But it is an opportunity for an impartation, for an, an investing of the Holy Spirit into their lives to equip them to become the followers of Christ that Jesus wants them to be. In a similar way, I believe that there's an anointing present this morning, that the, the eldership and the leaders of our congregation, our, our fellowship here, that, that if you're willing, we can pray for you this morning, and you can receive a fresh anointing to walk in the fullness of the leadership that Jesus has for you. Now, when I was studying for this, I really wanted to focus on the next generational leaders. I wanted to focus on the teenagers and people in their 20s and people in their 30s and maybe some in their 40s because we, those are really important age groups. But then if you read my Facebook, God can use leaders of any age. He can use leaders with 
really thick, wavy black hair. He can use leaders with gray hair. And on a rare occasion, he can use leaders with no hair. <laughs> the issue is not the hair. The issue is the heart. So I have a question. How many of you in this room, particularly those of you who are in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, but, I, but anyone, frankly, you've heard this message and you're willing to, to say yes to God calling you to become a more influential leader, to becoming a spiritual leader. And if you're willing to say yes, just slip your hand up. You got this. You've been in church before. You can just raise your hand. That's me. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. All right, now keep your hands up. Don't be putting them down. You praise God for a half hour. You can keep them up for two more minutes. <laughs> At least some of you do. If not that, just do this and prop it up. It's, it's all right. You, you want to be a leader. All right, that's good. But here's the deal. I want to be able to, to make this more impactful than just a, oh, yeah, I want to be a leader. I want you to have some, some investment in this decision. Because everything I talked about takes you responding to God calling you. It takes effort on your part, it, you know, response on your part. So if you've got your hand raised or you wished you had raised your hand, because some people say, I wish I had raised my hand. It's not too late. You can raise your hand. I want you to stand up right where you're at, right in your pews, chairs, whatever those things are. Just stand up. That's Okay, that's me. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. I'm standing up because I want to be a leader. I want to be an influencer. You serious? I mean, so, I mean, this is not like, oh, okay, let's all do this. You want to make a difference. You want to invest yourself in somebody else. You want to let God use you. You want to, you want to take the most dangerous, radical, difficult, incredibly blessed and rewarding journey anyone could ever embark upon, and that is to let God use you to fulfill his will in your generation. If you're serious about this, I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you not to stay in your pews, but to come forward and just begin to, to line up here at the altar where, where, where the elders and I can begin to, to pray for you and lay hands on you. Just come on into the center and just kind of squeeze up. Just, I think you're making a great decision, by the way. And I think God sees this. I think God is watching this moment. And I think, I think something is, is being released and it's, it's not anything I carry except for what God has put within me to give to you today and what God has put within Pat and others. And I, I, I want, go ahead and come on in. Praise God. You guys can squeeze in, going around the sides. It's all right. We got room for everybody. There's room. Come on, take a step forward. Most of the people have showered today. I said, I said in the first service, everybody showered, and one guy goes, not me. And I went, all right. Well, praise God. I'm glad you're here anyway. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. Thank you. Now, here's what I want you to do. Just begin to close your eyes and begin to, to ask God to begin to touch you, to fill you, to, to release an anointing within your life. And, and leaders and Mark and everybody, I want you to go around and start to lay hands on people. Lex, just start to lay hands on people, anoint people, Eliphaz. Anyone else who, who's part of our elder team, leadership team, please feel free to step up and just begin to pray. Just pray a release. Just pray a release. Pray a release. God, you have stored up your anointing for this moment in this place. 
and you've stored up a, a, a word that you asked me to share. And I felt like the word was that there's more for us. There is more for us. There is more for us, Father. There is more for us. And we pray, God, we pray a release as people feel the, the, the physical touch on their shoulder or their head or their back, that God, something is being released, that something is being released, that something is being released, Lord. And that something is an anointing from heaven, a, a, an equipping spirit, God, that is just falling upon us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Kurt, can you just lay hands on people to start to pray for people? Thank you, sir. That's good. Hey, Jordan, after you get prayed for, start to lay hands on people. Start to pray for people, if you would. Thank you. Father God, come, 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 Holy Spirit. If you get a prophetic word for somebody, go ahead and just, just release it. Just release it. I feel like there's somebody that, that you've wanted this, but it's just hard for you to take it seriously. Something always, you just, it's something else seems to be more important or to distract you. And there's a complacency that God wants to break off of you. And, and it's not a rebuke. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a curse that he's saying to you, but he's giving you an invitation to let him break off that complacency, that, that, that sense of, oh, I know I'm supposed to do that, but it's just, I don't know if I really care about it enough. And God is saying, let me change your heart. Let me change your heart. And so I release that word that your heart is being changed this moment from a heart of, that's complacent to a heart that's compassionate, compassionate for the broken, compassionate for the hurting, compassionate. Leaders come in all shapes, all shades and all sizes, all ages, all ethnicities, all education levels. Leaders come in every form of humanity that there is. God needs leaders of every form. If you're sitting in the pews or chairs, just thank you for praying that, the, that every single person here, every single person has an individual as well as a corporate encounter that God is moving deeply in their hearts, that this is a moment they remember. <coughs> Thank you, God. Father.
Every person, God, every person here, every person. <coughs> Thank you. I don't want to rush this. This is not something to rush. I, you know, what's happening here? God's moving. God's moving. So Brad, I've got these cards and I want to give these to every single person who's come forward and ushers, if you could help me. This is important. I don't want anybody going back to your chair just yet. I want to begin to hand these to every one of you because there's a, there's a, there's a reason for this. Okay? Yeah, there's a reason for this. And if we can get these distributed to every single person. Thank you. you got, here, Pat, take those. Here, Mr. Vickers. There you go. Did you, uh, did you get on them? Okay, thank you. Elephaz, does everybody have one yet? Almost? Okay. All right. Just give me your attention for just a minute here. When we baptize someone, we sign a certificate. It gives them a memorial to remember that this is the day that you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's obviously an event in Timothy's life where, where the elders laid hands on him. And it was obviously... An, memorable event because Paul alludes to it. Someone touched you today. Most importantly, God touched you. And in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, Paul wrote about that encounter that his son, his spiritual son had. He said, Timothy, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. It is God's desire that your leadership not be shipwrecked. It is God's desire that this, this moment would, would be something you could refer back to in your memory. Now, this card is not as eloquent or elaborate as perhaps our baptism certificates. But this is something you can keep in your Bible or on your bedside. Tape it to your refrigerator if you want to. Because the point of this is I'm telling you God wants you to make a difference. And I don't want you ever to doubt that. Now I want you to turn this card over from the verse and there's a confession that I want each of you to make with me as we make this together. It says this, it said, I have been anointed to be a leader. And in just a moment, we're going to say that together. And I want you to say it out loud, as passionately as you feel comfortable, but with passion. And to say it to yourself, and to say it to God, and to say it to the world. Because I think it will release a, a deposit, a, a, an anchor that will keep you grounded. So on the count of three, I want us to say, I have been anointed to be a leader. One, two, 
three. I have been anointed to be a leader. Thank you, God. Let's clap. Come on, let's clap. Thank you, God. We celebrate you. We celebrate you. We celebrate what you've done this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless the future. God bless the power. God bless the character. God bless the love and the compassion that's being released. God bless. Pat, do you got something? You're good? Bree, you got something? No. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share with you today. She said, thank you for responding. And most importantly, thank you for the future, for the lives that you will impact and the difference that you're going to make. Thank you. The world needs transgenerational leaders. And you are such as that. Is that correct, English, Pat? Why did I ask you? <laughs> I just... The world needs people like that. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Remember. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.